was slow. <laughs> I really wanted to go for a drastic effect. What a horrible lead-up. And it's, uh, it's not even a beer. I'm sad. It's just a big K-Cola. <laughs> we don't have any... We well, have quite the budget for the show. It has alcohol. Yeah, it's because, you know, I treat myself right. Yeah. I, I mean, there is this random whiskey bottle on the floor I guess I could take a hit off of. This is probably like the first mixed drink we've ever made on the show for me. <laughs> yeah, that you've ever made by yourself on the so, show. Uh, some uh, honey-infused uh, Jack Daniels. And, I'm happy uh, some, for you, man. That sounds delicious. And some RC Cola. That Get sounds on the really RC good. Cola. My but. RC Cola is virgin. <laughs> it's just a soda. But I'm not complaining. It's good. I'm, I'm happy with it. You just look slightly happier. Oh, I'm getting happier as as, as we go Every along. Every sip just, gets, just, just takes My smile is grinning further and further. Welcome to the Abyss, everybody, where one of us gets to have a good time. You know what, Britain? It's about fucking time we do a viewer submission. I know. It's been a minute. A and I know that sub. Yes. And uh, this viewer has been particularly patient with us while we get going. So thank you very much. So it came uh, from Coyote. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But Coyote said, hello, I'm Ava. I really wanted to hear about the creepypasta, please. So it's about Jeff the Killer. And others telling they are dead and keep and killing people for fun. I hope you pick me. Well, Coyote, it's your lucky night because we're going to be going over Jeff the freaking killer. Yeah, we picked you. And thank you for listening to the show and sending in a submission. And, and to all of you out there, we're always open to submissions. So I feel like, you know, I got into the creepy pastas during the like golden times. Because I remember Jeff the killer was one of the first creepy pastas I ever read. Yeah, I remember when I first met you, you were you were kind of in that golden age of creepy pasta. You kind of introduced me to the idea. Yep, had my own channel, was narrating pastas, and uh, yeah, now I'm doing this. So, yeah, we have we have we have progressed. Now we're in the big times. But uh, yes, Coyote, thank you very much for the suggestion, and we are here to talk about Jeff the Killer. And uh, so Cleet's going to be doing the bulk of that, and then I, once he's done. Have some creepy Reddit stories, not so much about Jeff the Killer, but about former missing persons telling their stories. I think it's going to be quite interesting. I wonder if they saw any killers. All right. So I've always had this reoccurring thing that happens to me when I'm laying in my bed, particularly in this house. And you guys have probably heard that on my podcast several times. Our podcast. Jesus, you have the only alcohol and now it's your show? <laughs> yes, it's mine. <laughs> so <laughs> Cleet's very possessive tonight. I'm You've on, probably heard about it on my show. Yeah, it's my show. My bad. Me and Britain's show. I apologize. Uh, so I'm on the precipice of falling asleep, but just can't quite make the leap. And all of a sudden, I feel like someone is walking down my hallway to murder my ass. Like That's creepy. Yeah, it happens all the time. Sound like, like a rooster? No, it's just I just I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. I just know some evil force is marching its way to my room to just murder me. So it's just the feeling. You don't hear anything or see anything. It's just that overwhelming feeling. Yeah, dude. It's, it's something primal, I think. Something that is like really deep inside us when we used to live in the trees. You know, some type of predator stalking up to you might snatch you away in the night. Yeah. So, now, Britton, I want you to imagine that you are younger, you know, way younger in your teenage years. And I wish. And uh, you're in that same situation. Yeah. But you notice that you're like, oh, yeah, I left the window open because I can kind of feel a little bit of a draft. You know, you want to get that sweet breeze to help you fall asleep. Yeah. And you snap out of it, start to move your arms. You get up and you start looking around the room and you feel uneasy still. And you look under the window and just under the drapes, 
you see this face looking back at you. Oh, fuck. I know this face. It's not good, man. Yeah, that's... No. And and this will go on YouTube, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. It's... Yeah, and if you don't know what Jeff the Killer looks like, it's... Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not something. It's not in my top ten things I'd like to see under the window at night. I would literally shat my pants. Yeah. Yeah, it's over. You see that? It's like, okay. My time here is done. This is the story of Jeff the Killer. Now, those who see Jeff the Killer generally never are able to speak about the encounter because, you know, they get murdered. Right. They may see that face scaling into your room from your window and crawling towards you only to whisper. And these are the last words you hear. Go to sleep. Then you're just another missing child statistic, an empty bed assigned to regretful parents asking themselves, what could they have done? Yeah, that's freaky. And and I, you know, we probably should describe it for those who just aren't going to go to YouTube. So it's like a pale white face with like really deep set eyes, completely black. No on the eyelids. Outside. No eyelids. Right. No eyelashes. None of that stuff. Uh, and then like this wide joker red smile. No nose. And then, you know, long black hair. So it's freaky. It's freaky. But, you know, if you want to see it. Either Google Jeff the Killer or go onto our YouTube page. Yeah. So, of the thousands of missing children, yours is marked as a stranger abduction. That is, a stranger snatched you up from your bed. It was involuntary and facilitated by a third party. Now, while we've all seen the children on the back of milk cartons, we and we know there are creepy people more than willing to just toss a child in the back of a van and speed away. Who is Jeff the Killer? Is he responsible for some of these abductions that we see yearly in the United States? And why is he such a prolific creepypasta? I mean, look at him. Look at that fucker. That's why. So every creepy killer has to have a good supervillain child-napping arc. And it all started out with a family making a move to a new town. Jeff and his brother Lou were excited and their new house was an upgrade from the last one. The neighborhood was considered middle, upper class, and the moment they moved in, some of the neighborhood even came in and introduced themselves. One of these neighbor kids was having a birthday party and extended an invitation to their whole family. This sounds like like a happy story. Yeah, isn't it just, uh, you know, just the parents moving, upgrading, like everything is going to be blue skies. But so many horror stories start that way. You know, you got a family movie. In the beginning, there's always the bitchy teen in the back with their AirPods in. Yeah, right. They want to go. Come on. They want to go. So they invite the whole family over. Uh, The neighbor, Barbara, or the neighbor, Barbara, explained that her son, Billy, was about to have a birthday party. Jeff's mom, Margaret, said her husband, Peter, as well as the kids, would love to go. At this point, Jeff and Lou were in the background listening, both of them feeling kind of annoyed that their parents had agreed on their behalf to go to a party of some kid they didn't even know. So exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Jeff had innate problems with authority, and he was quick to tell his mom that she shouldn't do stuff like that. After confronting his mom about the incident, he angrily went back up to his bedroom, where he jumped into bed stewing in anger. In that moment of anger, he felt some type of animalistic hunger in the deep pit of his stomach, and while simultaneously feeling some type of weird pain that he couldn't quite describe, hypnotized by his own anger, he thought, 
How dare she do that? It's probably just constipation. (laughs) Eventually, his blind rage subsided, and he returned to a normal, not fully understanding what had overcome him. The next morning during breakfast, a similar situation happened while eating cereal. He felt a grinding pain in his stomach, paired with an insatiable feeling of rage. He didn't know if he liked it or not. He wrote it off his nerves of moving to a new address and the anxiety of meeting new kids. Some might even be jerks. Yeah, I, I, what a horrible mom. Moves into this nice middle-class house and, you know, allows him to go to a birthday party. Oh, wait, you know what? The negligence does get pretty deep here later in the story. I don't know if you have read no, it before. I don't, no. But, uh, yeah, it's funny you say that. So, he realized in that moment, however, that he was gripping his spoon so hard his knuckles were white and he was just seething with anger. So it sounds like Jeff has some pretty big ang- anger issues, right? Yeah, a little. A little bit. The spoon was forever mangled. It's just like bent in like four different places. <laughs> now we have to throw this away, Jeff. While sitting at the bus stop that day, these feelings were amplified when some asshat kid did an ollie on a skateboard right over Jeff and Lou's leg. The action in Jeff's eyes were reckless and could have hurt himself or his brother Lou. He quickly shouted at these punks. Jeff didn't know it at the time, but this was one of the catalysts that would eventually drive him past the edge into the abyss. That he would eventually not be able to come back from. The skateboarder was soon joined by two other kids. One supposedly cool kid named Randy, a nerdy looking dude named Keith, and an extremely obese kid named Troy. Now, these boys would play the antagonist of Jeff. Randy says, Well, look what's been dragged into the neighborhood. A couple of new freaks to kick around for a while. The fat kid laughs while taking deep breaths. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. The nerdy-looking kid remains stoic and unmoving. Randy further elaborates to Jeff and Lou that as new kids on the block... There was a tax to pay. Call it a bus fare. And intimidatingly, he got right up into Lou's face. Lou, being no pushover, stood his ground, pushing Randy back. But in that moment, but in that moment of unreasonable escalation, the fat kid pulls out a knife. Randy turns to his friends and says, These kids gotta, these kids are gonna have to learn the hard way. The fat kid wielded the knife right in front of Lou's face and proceeded to rifle through his pockets. He grabs his wallet and throws it over to Randy. All this time, Lou is thinking of how crazy the situation is considering how these three kids come from a wealthy, quiet neighborhood, right? That's <laughs> like, like what's going on here? I'm getting mugged on my first day to school? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You don't ever sympathize with killers. But this origin story is just sad. Maybe. We'll see. All this time, Jeff is watching. The pressure building inside him, and he's on the verge of exploding. That feeling in his stomach is a fire growing by each moment. As if someone inside him possesses him, he shouts at Randy, You give that wallet back to my bro, or I'll knock the teeth right out of your fucking head. Oh, damn. Before Randy could respond, Jeff punches him square in the nose, shattering it like porcelain. Lou is watching in a state of shock, 
because he has never seen the sight of his brother before. This awe turns to terror, though, when he sees Jeff grab Randy's finger and snap it to make a right angle. Jeff took Randy's knife, intent to escalate this further, but the fat guy and the nerd jump on his back. Keith, the nerd, got stabbed and fell to the floor like a paper man. Jeff then punches Troy, the fat guy, with a velocity so hard in his stomach that he immediately throws up and crawls away. The scene is quickly turning into a massacre. Lou, coming out of a state of shock, asks Jeff, What has gotten into you? Jeff, snapping back out of it and turns to his brother, and they both instinctively run to school rather than get on the bus, only looking behind them to see a crowd of people approaching the wounded children. God damn. Quite the escalation. A little bit. Kids are ruthless, man. But, you know, he just killed a couple people. While at school, Jeff thinks about what he had done at the bus stop, feeling a sick, twisted pleasure out of the event. It was the first time he had ever really felt alive. The violence permeated his entire body. He loved it. He loved the violence. So, this is where the mania gets worse, I guess you could say. Yeah, because now he's had his first taste. Yeah. And now he's like, hey, that, uh, that, didn't, uh, that didn't make me upset. So Jeff got home that evening, and his mom asked how his school was, to which Jeff replied, Awesome. It was a bloody good time. (laughs) As he was still feeling that sweet dopamine rush that only violence and the scent of blood could give him. However, those feelings wavered the moment the cops turned up at Jeff's house and explained that their son's violent outburst led to the serious injuries of three kids with a deadly weapon, so none of them died. Oh, okay. That's good. When confronted, Jeff pleaded that he had been the victim of the violence and that he had only retaliated in equal force. Comparable, said one of the cops. I've got two kids in the hospital with stab wounds and another kid that looks like he's been kicked in the stomach by a racehorse. Jeff had to hold himself from smiling, but he bit his lips. Knowing that there was no way out of the situation, Jeff confesses and says, It was me. But uh, I was only sticking up for my bro. Those guys pulled a knife on us first. I just finished it. Jeff was already thinking about spending a year in what he had heard was nicknamed Gladiator School. (laughs) What? (laughs) When his brother Lou came rushing down the stairs with a knife in his hands, Lou shouted, It was me! Don't arrest my brother! Lou put down the knife and the cops cuffed him. All the while, Jeff was telling him that Lou was lying, that it was he who was at fault for the bus stop massacre. What? That's I, what they're calling it That's now? what I felt the liberty of uh, calling oh, it. Oh, I see. Yeah. As, he, as his brother was taken away in the cop car, Jeff sat in the driveway weeping. For days, he stayed in his emotional state, lying in his bed with the curtains closed. He wouldn't go to school. He couldn't even sleep. He just lay in bed depressed, feeling as if darkness had chosen him, abused him, and manipulated him. After a few days passed, something unbelievable happened. His mom came into the bedroom in an uncharacteristically happy emotional state considering his bro had just become a hardened criminal in jail and jovially exclaimed to Jeff, How am I going to do this for you? Guess what day it is? God, it's always the southern. (laughs) Guess everything. How do I be a chick? Hang on. (laughs) 
<laughs> just say it, man. <laughs> Guess what day it is? I can't do it, man. Just, you got a good chick voice. I don't have a good chick <laughs> voice. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> guess what? Why do I always go naturally southern? Because um, you are. It's Cletus from the south. Guess what day it is? What the, Jeff thought? Has this woman lost her damn mind? It's party day, said his mom. You remember? Before the nonsense and the knives, we we were invited to Billy's birthday bash. Jeff being irritated. His mom was downplaying the whole, your kid is in jail, stay silent. Come on, Jeff, she said. So your brother's gone for a while. Don't let that spoil an otherwise beautiful and sunny day. You'll always be my beautiful son. Let's go have some fun. Irritated with his mom calling him beautiful, he notices in that moment she'd really had gone overboard with her clothes. She was dressed to impress, and this bugged him even more. When the family arrived at Barbara's house, Jeff noticed that all the adults were wearing fancy clothes, all of them. It seemed they were trying to impress each other. Some were already drunk and talking loudly about their many accomplishments and the wonderful, talented children they brought into this world. Go in the yard and play, and play with other kids, Jeff's mom said. This is perhaps one of the many negligent actions that his mother took, considering, you know... Yeah. What just happened when he was hanging out with other kids recently? Well, you mean the stabby stabby? Yeah. Well, I mean, allegedly, his brother did it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Jeff's bro. While Jeff is outside, he starts to feel like he's making friends and is enjoying himself. Then, all of a sudden, Randy, Keith, and Troy appear, still looking a bit beaten up, but no doubt ready to rumble. Randy says, You didn't think this was done, did you? I ain't done by a long way. Jeff is reminded in that moment of countless teenage movies he'd seen. Randy and Jeff are going to spar one-on-one in combat. <clears throat> Jeff he went to gladiator school. Oh, yeah. He didn't go to gladiator school. Gladiator school, motherfucker. Let's go. Got my suit of armor, my sword, my shield. I'm going to fuck you up. Jeff headbutts Randy, breaking his recently fixed nose yet another time. He's like, God damn it, not again. Blood splattered in the air, hitting the faces of the younger kids, sending them running around the garden in hysterics. A smaller kid froze, and as his teddy bear dropped from his hands, you could see a wet patch form and expand on the front of his SpongeBob shorts. Jeff clearly has the upper hand, but before he can claim victory, his two goons, Randy's two goons, pull out guns. <laughs> What? You heard me. Fucking guns. <laughs> now we have guns? Is guns happening now? Jesus Christ. This the thing is escalating nobody's business. The adults notice the gunfight and someone shouts to the to call the police. Jeff knows he can't do anything brash. And Randy approaches him, knife in hand. He plunges it into his chest. The two gun-wielding goons laugh while Randy beats Jeff mercilessly. He dragged Jeff into the kitchen, whereupon he kicked up a bottle of vodka and smashed it on Jeff's head. Jeff doesn't fight back and takes every punch. His face now dripping in blood. A shard of glass was sticking out of his head. His stomach punctured and bleeding. He lay motionless. Come on, Randy said. Hit me. Fight back. Jeff just remained stoic 
as he takes more shots to the face. Randy shouts, You bros some dude's girl right now, and that's all because of me. Fight me. This is where Jeff snaps, and he felt an overwhelming rage build within his stomach. He leaped towards Randy like a rabid dog, looking for a kill. He pushed him down with incredible strength. Jeff drew back his fist and punched Randy square in the heart. Randy is shocked, looking as as if he saw a demon, and took one last breath. Blood bubbled from his mouth, and he died there and then. The parents watching from afar, mouse agape, shocked to see the display of feral animalistic behavior from these children. Keith and Troy, scared out of their minds, point their guns at Jeff and unload their clip. They start shooting, and they miss Jeff, giving him the opportunity to run up the stairs past his parents, past parents still in a deep state of shock. Their faces wider than the new ceramic tiles on the kitchen floor. So there's just bullets flying all over the place? Oh, they unloaded their clip, man. So they things escalating so fast. <laughs> the two kids chase after Jeff. Out of bullets, Troy and Keith pull out their knives and follow him. But as they spot Jeff, they see he has a weapon of his own. A towel rack. He cracked Troy's balloon side head with the rack, knocking him clean out. Skinny Keith realizes that he's out of his league, but it's too late. There is nowhere to run. They are both in the bathroom fighting, and suddenly they hit a shelf and a bottle of bleach fell and poured on top of both of them. Keith screams as the bleach is burning his face, and that's when Jeff caves in his face with a towel rack. God damn. As Keith lay on the floor not far from death, he smiles. Funny, huh? Jeff somewhat surprised, even though he's no stranger to strangeness. Look at you. Mumbled Keith through bloody, broken teeth. You've been doused in bleach and vodka. In what last strength Keith had, he threw his cigarette lighter at Jeff. Jeff immediately burst into flames, and while screaming, he ran downstairs throughout the house. Being a ball of burning hate, the parents stood back in horror, and Jeff soon collapses under the insurmountable pain and becoming a burned victim. That explains the no eyelids and nose and... Almost. It almost explains it. So this... Jeez, that, that that just escalated like nobody's business. I know. They brought fucking guns. <laughs> just <laughs> unloading the clips. He's running through, then covered in vodka, then covered in bleach and gets lit on fire. Happy birthday, Billy. Now we're going to kill this motherfucker. Jesus. Yeah, this is uh, written by uh, Quentin party. Tarantino. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always the end scene. It's just holy shit. So this is really where Jeff fell into that canyon and transformed into what we call him and know him now as Jeff the Killer. The next thing Jeff knew, he was lying in a hospital bed, and he couldn't move, almost like his entire body was covered in bandages. Suddenly he heard, He's awake! He could tell by the sound it was his mother, but this time he was pleased she was by his side. Jeff! Jeff! She said. Lou is out! Witnesses told the police that Randy had first produced the knife. Your brother is free. We're going home as a family again. Jeff felt a twinge of relief, but it was hard to be happy when his body was covered in third-degree burns. He tried to smile, but realized he had no lips to smile with. His mother, seeing his pain, said, Good news, though. Uh, Jeff? Every cloud has a silver... She didn't finish her sentence this time being self-aware enough not to be chirpy in a horrible situation. Sometime later, both Jeff's parents were there when his final bandages had to be pulled off. 
This is going to hurt a bit, the doctor told Jeff. As they peeled away the bandages, Jeff was taken aback by the sheer horror painted on his parents' faces. They were trying to hide their disgust, but something primal and hardwired into their brains wouldn't allow them to hide it. Jeff asked for a mirror, and the doctor told him, Just start with one part of your face, and then move to another part. This might come to a shock to you, but you'll soon get used to it. Doctor sounds extremely untrustworthy. Something about his tone. I just don't trust him. Jeff, not taking the advice, took the mirror and beheld his new face for seconds. Minutes. He stared into that mirror, moving his head to the side to the other, studying every angle. His parents were waiting for him to cry, to scream, to collapse in shock, but Jeff kept looking at his new face. A white, leathery face. A face without eyelids, without anything resembling a human face. It looked as though he was happy with the results of his personal tragedy. It's perfect, he said. He wasn't crying, and his mother noticed that he was trying to hold back a laugh. When alone, the doctors told his parents that their son was in shock, and it wasn't unusual for someone to act this way. The reality, he said, hadn't set in. Just take him home, said the doctor, and give him a lot of support. Of course we will, said Jeff's mother, feeling ever so slightly guilty that she was glad about the fact that Jeff would be easier to control now that he was damaged goods. What? Oh, said the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. 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 What the? Oh. That's not not what I was doing. Oh, said the doctor. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh. Oh, said the... (laughs) You gotta stop. I've tried. I can't. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) You're not helping. You're not helping. Okay, I'm good. Okay. Oh, said the doctor as he was walking away. Don't let him be alone for too long. Later that night, while the family was sleeping, Jeff's mom was awoken by a strange sound coming from the bathroom. When she entered the bathroom, she couldn't believe what she was seeing. Jeff was carving a smile into his face with a knife. This is the Joker. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. He also cut off the remainder <clears throat> his penis. Right, just <laughs> Homemade circumcision. Oh, he's just hitting himself with his detached penis. <laughs> he liked it. He'd also cut off what remained of his eyelids. How do I look, Ma? Jeff said earnestly. She couldn't even speak. She couldn't even move. The woman was petrified. What's up, Ma? Said Jeff. Don't you think I look beautiful anymore? Jesus. Y- yes, she said, while slowly backpedaling out of the bathroom. You... You are my beautiful son. You'll you'll always be my beautiful little honeypot. She then ran for it and got Jeff's dad, and the two of them tried to wrestle the knife from Jeff's hand. What? Jeff screamed. You lied to me. You don't think I'm beautiful. He was too powerful for them. The rage had returned, and it wasn't difficult to stick the knife into both of them. As Jeff stood over them, their lungs drowning in their own blood, Jeff thought it was a beautiful sight. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. God, can't believe I haven't ever read this story before. Wild. He had now fully transformed into Jeff the Killer. He had one last stop before he left the house and it f- to fulfill his own prophecy. Jeff walked into Lou's room, standing at his side of Lou's bed, and he put his scarred, leathery hand in his brother's mouth. Lou suddenly looked at Jeff, wide open eyes, as his dear brother sunk a knife deep into his stomach. Shh, Jeff said, go to sleep. So, damn. if we actually go to the start of the creepypasta, it starts with a news clip of a story saying an anonymous unknown killer is at large. It elaborates that uh, although only trace amounts of evidence have been found, a victim had survived the attack and claims that he woke up in his room and saw a little ray of light illuminating from between the curtains and he saw those pair of eyes. He said in this news clipping, they weren't regular eyes. They were dark, ominous eyes. They were bordered in black and just plain out terrifying. That's when he saw his mouth, a long, horrendous smile that made every hair on his body stand up. The figure stood there, watching me. Finally, after what seemed like forever, he said a simple phrase, Go to sleep. But said, in a way only a madman could speak, he said, Go to sleep. He let out a scream. That's what sent him at me. He pulled up a knife, aiming it at my heart. The kid jumped on the top of his bed and fought back. He kicked, he punched, he rolled around, trying to knock him off of him. That's when his dad busted through the door. The man threw the knife. It went into my dad's shoulder. The man probably would have finished him off if one of the neighbors hadn't alerted the police. The killer jumped through the window, and no one saw him again. So, Britton, do you think that uh, Jeff the killer is real? That he's on the loose? Well, I'm looking at his picture right now. I think he's real. He looks so real. Yeah, he's hella no, real. I, when, did this, when was this story written? Oh, so long ago. It was like 10 years at least. Really? Oh, yeah. One of the old classics. One of the cult classics of creepypasta noir. I believe I haven't read that one. It's wild. Yeah, right. I, I especially like the gunfight scene in the middle. That was pretty it cool. It was crazy. These like teenagers, you're like, no, what, motherfucker? We got guns. Especially since one of them had SpongeBob shorts. It just peed. Peed himself. Yeah, but he had a pistol. I just gotta take a nice warm pee. No, that was just another kid. Oh, so he didn't. He was have a, a younger okay. kid at the party, you know, one of Billy's really young friends. Gotcha. There were too many kids, too much shit happening. I got them all mixed up. And then eventually we just started, like, calling him the fat kid and the skinny kid and everything. I just, I lost track. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so that's, that's essentially our cover of Jeff the Killer. Yep, that's uh, the story of Jeff the Killer. So we're going to hand it over to Britain, and we're going to talk about people who went missing, I guess, were found later. Uh, so I changed it a little bit because I was reading through some of those former missing persons, and it's it didn't really fit the bill. So I did find 30 creepy disappearance cases, though. I like that. that. I think is going to work well from Reddit. So first one here, uh, 
a young girl went missing. I think she was around five years old, young enough to still be using training wheels at least. She was last seen riding her bike in the backyard. Where I lived, the media would talk about her every day. Any new evidence they found, they presented, because this happened just a mile or two from where I lived, and in the country where my brother worked, and in the county where my brother worked. It turned out that this girl's neighbor had been the one to kill her, and his wife turned him in. I'll always applaud this woman for this. You always hear about spouses trying to hide their significant other's crimes. My brother, who is great at getting inside people's heads, told me that he made it seem like he was relating to the guy, which he said he was repulsed by, but had to do it to get an honest confession. He said the guy wasted no time at bragging to what he did, smiling the entire time. He said he invited the little girl inside his house, got a trash bag, and used it to suffocate her. He described every detail about how long it took, how tight he held the bag, and how thrilling it was to be in control of someone else's life. But the most messed up part? He admitted that he rode with the father, helping this terrified man search for his missing baby girl. That's fucked up. The idea that that poor man was sitting right next to her daughter's killer the entire time, bawling his eyes out to the man responsible for his pain, it's chilling. When the father found out, he begged my brother to let him alone in the room with the guy just for a few minutes. My brother, being an overprotective father himself, was seriously considering letting this guy have some alone time, so to speak. But another officer, who also felt bad for the father, told him they couldn't do that because they didn't want the father killing this man and risk landing in prison himself. You just gotta have the cameras malfunction. Yeah. Put the guy on suicide watch prior. And then uh, got it all he winds up out, dead, man. you know? Whoopsie. I believe they found the little girl, and if I'm remembering this story correctly... They found her in the same trash bag the man used to suffocate her. Jesus. Okay. Next one. In the town I grew up in, in the, in the UK, a woman in her 30s, her three kids, and their car all went missing. Her husband was known for being a bit of a lad, and the immediate, and the immediate presumption was that he had enough and left him. Or was she'd had enough and left him. But her parents hadn't heard from her. Her bank account wasn't used, etc., but it was nearly a week before anybody seemed to really get worried about it. She'd picked the kids up from school and then never went home, even though it was only a 10-minute journey. Eventually, one of the 10-year-old son's friends mentioned that he was planning on trying to get his mom to go to get them a McFlurry. The nearest McDonald's was a town away, and they eventually realized that instead of going straight home, she'd agreed to drive to the McDonald's and gone the, way, and gone the back way. Part of which is along what we call the 40-foot, basically, a massive dike. Found them all still trapped into the car at the bottom. Husband was engaged again, and his fiancée pregnant within a year. Ha! <laughs> what an outstanding gentleman there. I'm so sad. Will you bear me a child? Okay. My stepdad worked a case. My dad and my little brother lived in an apartment down the street from this 12-year-old girl who went missing. She was walking home at night and was abducted on her way. It was about three weeks until they found her, but the guy let the officers in, and right there in the middle of the living room floor was, a mangle, was her mangled remains. She had been cut up into pieces. Jeff the Killer, back at it. Okay. Skylar's niece went missing. Skylar's best friend since childhood and a new friend made in high school plotted Skylar's kidnapping and murder. 
They lured Skylar out of her home at 12.30 a.m. with the promise of socializing and smoking weed, as they'd done many times. That's how you get got. Yeah. Her friends drove her to Pennsylvania, took her to the woods, and stabbed her over 50 times. Oh, my God. They then covered Skylar's body with rocks, mud, and sticks. During the investigation into Skylar's disappearance, the two friends helped Skylar's family distribute missing persons posters, reassuring the family that Skylar would come home soon. They were found guilty of murder and kidnapping. One was given 30 years and the other a life sentence. When asked why they murdered Skylar, the only answer they could give was, we didn't want to be her friend anymore. Yeah, the, the, uh, the perpetrators always seem to go back to the scene of the crime. Oh, yeah. Or go on and the search. Help. Yeah. She was only 16 years old. You want me to put out that beautiful fire that I didn't set? So this one is from Rarari RS. I was missing for three days out on the open water. I was boating with my father and we were in a small boat. We had all sorts of supplies, knives, life jackets, fishing rods, flares, cooking utensils, and materials. All the stuff. Anyways, we were both in this one boat. We were at a dock, but we didn't tie the boat to the dock, which was a dumb idea. I was told to hold on to the dock so I didn't float away. I held on, but there was something strong, but there were somewhat strong currents and it was kind of windy. I let go, but I didn't mean to. I had to. I didn't know how to swim at this time, but I started to float away. I couldn't jump out because I would most likely drown and I was out of sight. I panicked and just hoped for the best. If we didn't have the materials in the boat, I probably would have died. Anyways, I floated away, and eventually I was out of sight from the land. It was very, very scary. Can you imagine being a little kid, and you're just like, Dad! Dad! Float out to the open sea? Nope. Nope. I closed my eyes and just hoped to God that I would survive. I prayed, and I'm an atheist. That doesn't work. I wanted all the luck I could get. I kept hydrated with the bottled water we had on board, and we had some dried nuts and fruits on board, too. I had a thermal blanket, so to go to sleep, I would lay inside the middle of the boat and cover myself with it. It was surprisingly warm. Anyways, I just tried to keep myself warm and make sure I didn't tip the boat for three days. They had boats out looking for me within two hours of me floating away. Eventually, they sent out helicopters. I was found after three days of being lost out on the open water by a helicopter. It's the scariest three days of my life. That's crazy, man. Being, I would that would freak me out. I don't like the big open ocean. Surfs up, man. This comes from deleted. My cousin's cousin, it's always the cousin's cousin, who I went to high school with. Who I think's kind of cute. Right? Was a missing person. Her mom started a Facebook group titled Help Us Find Casey. For whatever reason, it went viral. Nearly 250,000 people joined the group, liked the page, whatever. About three-fourths about three-fourths of the responses were along the lines of, we've got eyes out for her in whatever state, province they were in. Prayers and well wishes to you. But the rest of the responses were like, this is a fucking hoax. Shame on you for freaking people out. You must really like attention, you bitch. <laughs> wow. People online can be uh, kind of mean. You're a cunt. Give it up. No one pay this woman any attention. It got to the point that people were searching if the page was a hoax or not. Snopes ended up posting an entry on it, confirming that Casey, confirming that Casey was actually missing. 
Her mom wasn't asking for money, just for people to keep an eye out for Casey and her boyfriend. My brother is the same age as Casey and was good friends with her. She and her boyfriend ran away because they needed to get away for a little while. According to my brother, they were gone for close to a week before they were found at a hotel. They left together to get in a hotel for a week. Yeah. I wonder what happened there. They were playing Uno in the shower. Yeah. That's what right. Just mean? a bunch of Uno. <clears throat> Cops with guns literally busted the door open, aimed at them. If my family gossip is to be trusted, Angela, Casey's mom, didn't like Chris, the boyfriend. However, because of this dislike, they were afraid Chris had kidnapped Casey. They basically spent a few days in a hotel watching TV. Pretty boring stuff from and, Casey's side. And wrestling. Yeah. Much more interesting for me as a sort of family member. Yeah. Oh, it says, edit. Yes, I am aware they were having sex. <laughs> but my point is that they didn't have some crazy adventure. They literally went to a hotel and bumfuck nowhere, had sex, and watched TV for three days. My grandfather was a policeman and a fireman at different points in his life. His spooky disappearance story actually came from his time as a fireman. He hasn't told me this story in a long while, so I'm a little fuzzy in the details, but here goes. His team gets called to a house fire in a small village, rural England. It's late at night. The fire is reported by a local who was walking home. Several other bystanders have arrived by the time the fire engine gets there, but there are multiple reports of screams for help from inside the building. They start to douse the fire, and three of the responders, including my granddad, enter the building via the back door to attempt to rescue the people trapped inside. The thing is, they don't find a soul. Nobody's there. They clear the whole place out, stop the fire, effectively make the building safe. Later on, it's confirmed that the fire started in the kitchen, likely the hob, where food was midway through being prepared. As far as anyone knew, the couple who lived there had been at home. Relatives had no idea where they might have gone that night. My granddad and his colleagues have a funny feeling, so they get local police property involved. Properly involved. Crime scene investigation uncovered blood on the floor in one room, but any other evidence was destroyed in the fire. They can't confirm who the blood belongs to. It apparently didn't match the blood types of the two vanished residents. The fire department are, the, are very suspicious at this point, and apparently the police want to drop investigation in favor of a manhunt for the missing people. But they end up expanding the investigation radius and find that apparently an unidentified van was parked outside the house that left just before the fire was reported. The investigation goes dead, but over a year later they find the burned remains of the man who lived there in a grave in the woods several towns away. They never found the woman, so it was suspected that she killed him and burned down the house to conceal it. They never figured out where the screams from inside the building were coming from, though. God damn. Yeah, that is scary. Not a police officer, but my granddad was. Man, all these grandpas have some cool stories. <clears throat> he was a part of the police force in the 60s until the early 80s. Sometime during the 70s, he was assigned to a missing persons case that had been ongoing for a while and had actually been reassigned due to the lack of new evidence. Him and his partner spent months on the case, fighting for it to stay open. One day, they went and searched the missing person's home again. It caused a lot of uproar with the family, as they hadn't really moved his things or been into his home since the case had gone quiet. Anyway, they got permission almost a month after asking and found a handwritten receipt for a car in his bathroom bin. God knows why his bins weren't searched before unless it was just missed. 
They managed to track down the guy who sold him the car. He said that the missing person had said that he was going to store his car in a garage till he had the money to insure it. He even gave them the name of the little town he said the garages were in. They went to the town and got search warrants for every single rentable garage, even though they had no evidence he had ever rented one. After a couple of days, they found the car with the guy inside. Apparently, his body was almost mummified because of the lack of sun, air, and moisture. I can't imagine what the smell was like. But they think he accidentally killed himself while trying to do some work on the car. He would have had the garage door closed because his car wasn't insured. He didn't want anyone to see the car and steal it. It was stored in a rough neighborhood where the garages were cheap to rent, so he also paid cash in hand so he never had any receipts. So yeah, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. It's painless and basically you just fall asleep and then you die. He wouldn't have realized it until it was too late. The guy was missing for five months and he seemed to just disappear for no known reason. My granddad told me this when I was a kid and it really scared me that people can so easily just go missing or die and nobody knows where they are. Imagine that you're on one of those shows where you auction off those units and you're like, oh, I God. spent $500, let's open this up and just a body falls Storage down. wars. You just see like his face like go agape and it just ends the episode. <laughs> you don't even go like into it. Like a disclaimer, we can't show you what was no, inside. No, you see the body fall out and that's just it. Jesus Christ. That'd be a lot, especially if you paid like five grand for it. Just a dead ass body. What if the other, what if the rest of the storage unit was just full of cash though? Or just full of bodies. A bunch of bodies? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Bunch of naked doppelgangers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that, uh, I guess we'll conclude our episode tonight. We've been meaning to do this, uh, this one for a while. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you have any recommendations, please send them our way on at entertheabysspod at gmail.com. Right. We will cover anything and everything. Like I said in the last episode, we, we will go. Well, it's, that wasn't us. It was the AI that said we'll go to the deepest, darkest trenches or whatever to tell these stories. Yeah, we'll dig up a dead body. Just kidding. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> then we'd have to be investigated and that would not be good. Um, but also, we uh, this weekend, as you're listening, is the is the Christmas holiday. And happy holidays to everybody. Christmas if you celebrate it. Happy holidays if you don't. I do have something fun that I'm trying to purchase for one of our episodes. I think it's going to be hilariously fun. My wife showed me last night, and I'm like, it has to happen. So eventually we'll do something fun like that. But I think the week after the holidays, we'll be jumping back to the iceberg because it's about time we enter Tier 7. Yes. We're getting down to the balls. All right. <laughs> slowly down the shaft to the balls uh if you're listening to us on youtube please like share and subscribe and as if you're listening anywhere else like spotify's please please do so um and as always thank you for entering the abyss until next time